is the Modern Rubbish Podcast with your hosts, White Koish and David Paha. In this episode, Suspiria. Enjoy! So, Suspiria then. So, Suspiria. And are you guys in Berlin at the moment? Or? We are. Yeah. We are. And we both found out that they shot two weeks of it in Berlin. Even though it takes place in Berlin, they were only here for two weeks. And then uh, they shot most of it in, in Italy. In right? Italy. Oh, wow. I in didn't Villa. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically just did exteriors here. Yeah. Uh, and then that, all the, 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 the dance school stuff is like some villa somewhere in Italy. Mm. Because we thought it was, there's like a theater here that we thought like oh it must be that and the other day we went like before i went to egypt we were walking all around it you know looking at like is it was it there and like trying to figure out like it doesn't make sense if it was yeah how would they have shot this and then it was like oh because they didn't oh so So the yeah and once we went inside we it was clear it was completely different inside yeah it was a different architecture but they just would have used the outside oh so you saw the exterior of the theater the Exactly. Oh, okay, cool. And was like, oh, there. And so then we just thought, like, yeah, let's find exactly where. Yeah, it didn't work out. Didn't work out. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looked it looked about right to me, but then yes. Mm. Um, well, I'll just very quickly since we're we're launching into things or whatever. But that uh, this is the 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 voice that anyone is hearing that is neither me nor Dave is my dad. <laughs> That's um, me. If you'd like, he is our guest this week. <laughs> um, I am in Berlin. We are in his house. Uh, I've been here visiting. I wish it was a house. Yeah. Okay. In his in his apartment. Nobody has houses. No, here. nobody has a house. Mm. Um, Only rich people. It's a really figure of speech. Right. <laughs> it's a figure of speech. Okay. <laughs> um, it's an apartment. And uh, my uncle is also here. He is off camera. Oh. <laughs> He is making his presence known silently. Silently, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I thought, well, while I was visiting the family, that we it'd be cool to do uh, an episode with my dad, and that it would be cool to do a movie that takes place in Berlin. And so the Suspiria remake from 2018 came to mind, since that had been on our list already. Yeah. And so... Do you want to introduce yourself in any way? Um, yeah, I, I am actually his dad. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is my brother over here. But anyway, yes, um, I've been in, in Berlin. I worked, I, I used to be a film director, a uh, writer and director until a couple of years ago. So, um, um, uh, and I've worked a lot in Berlin and uh, the last 10 years, I guess, 12 years, I've, I've been around here. Um, but two years ago, well, with everything that went down two years ago, I had the time to think about what would it be like not to make movies anymore because they used to be so important to me. I was like, really, I mean, ever since I was, well, not little, I didn't, I wanted to be a soccer player, but, um, (laughs) ever since I'd say, I don't know, maybe 18, you know, that was the thing, film making movies and stuff. So, and I did get to do that for a long, long time. Um, but then with the COVID thing, I had the time to think about what would it be like if you never did that again? And I thought, 
hey, that works actually. It's <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's, I don't need <laughs> because the industry had changed so much in the last ten years for me, and uh, you know the the it was just wasn't the same, and it was like oh no, it's somebody else. Let somebody else's job not to do that, and uh, people that you know had either retired or done something else. So in the networks, people had changed. So you're not, so your connections weren't there anymore. And young people want to work with their own young people, their generation, you know, and move through the time, through the industry. So I gave up. Mm. Um, and I, f I actually feel fine about it. Except last this summer, I, I made a movie. That's true. Um, and that was totally on my own, though. It was like... The money I had in my pocket, and uh, my brother gave me some money, and we just made this movie in Calgary, and that was fun because it was a crew of two people. Yeah, nice. My dear friend, my dear friend Patrick, and myself. I was doing camera; he was doing sound. We had twelve actors. We had a the rights to a novel, a Canadian crime novel. Uh, we got that for a dollar. The guy gave it to us because he's a friend of Patrick's. And we shot a real movie. It's possible to shoot a movie, a real movie with a beginning, middle, and an end, good actors, and a solid story, and we got two mm. people doing it. It's, wow. it's yeah. now being edited, why it will do the music eventually. Eventually, yeah. And, uh, you know, but you can actually completely do it. Completely independent. Completely independent. Nobody, cool. And yeah. that was the thing, that, that's the thing that bugged me the most in the end, was the networks, the producers, everybody had, you know... And you couldn't make the movie that you wanted to make. So mm. it was hard. It was stupid, actually. Mm. It was silly, goofy, and uh, this was fun. But it takes, you know, it'll take some time. Maybe next summer it'll be ready. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's, it's a good movie. That I can say. That's what's important. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. So you got to, you yeah, got to use so, it as like a personal art, you know, personal expression. Uh, and that was really... What I told Patrick, I mean, Patrick and I started together in Calgary in the 80s, early 80s, and uh, that's how we met. And um, I called him spontaneously last September. I said, Patrick, we got to make another movie before, the way we used to when mm. we had nothing. And he said, yep. I said, okay. <laughs> and that was basically it. <laughs> and I, I flew over once for four days uh, to Calgary at minus 27 in January and that's how we did it. Mm. None of the stuff that we wanted to do worked out. There was nothing in place. <laughs> uh, we all we just made it up. Uh, the script was solid, and the cast was solid, but locations didn't come through. We had to beg every you know, and that was the biggest anxiety that I actually had, that I had to beg for stuff, <laughs> and that's really hard after. Mm. You've been provided uh, stuff all right. the time by a crew, by a producer. You know, mm. oh, you want to shoot here? Sure, yeah. We'll pay thousands of dollars for this location. And this, we had to get everybody to just, yeah, you, yeah. how long are you going to be here? Uh, ha half a day? Okay. Oh, but then you're out, right? Yes, mm. yes, we'll be gone, you know. Yeah. So that was hard, begging. Begging for, for, oh, yeah. for entry. Did that, that, was, that probably uh, informed the like the flow of the narrative and the flow of uh, how the actual film got made then, right? Because you had to do it as it went along. Yeah, and I we had, I had a schedule for the first two weeks. Um, I had never made a schedule in years. In, in 40 years, I had never made a schedule ever again. 
And someone else always did it? Somebody else, the yeah. production manager or the first AD, the assistant director would, and, and the only time, well, anyway, it's all in, in software now. So I, I downloaded the software and then gave up instantly. I said, mm. I can't do this. So I pulled out a piece <laughs> of paper, like a calendar, and I went, okay, we can shoot something here. There's, uh, you know, who's available, what's available, you know. And, and I had the first two weeks, and that was fine. And then I'm out of tricks, Patrick. I can't, I can't, I, my head is full. I, I don't know how to juggle this anymore. I did, give me a week. So I went down to LA. You were there, right? That's right. That was when we yeah. were in LA. And I just regrouped in my brain and then came back to Calgary and we shot for another two weeks uh, because I had figured out what we need. Because I, I had no idea what we already done, mm. you know, because usually you have a person who is the continuity script person who catalogs everything. Oh, you've done this, this, you've done this, you know. Yeah. And thank, thank God the lead actor, he was marvelous. He, he knew everything. He, because we didn't know what, sh what shirt he had worn, right? Oh, right. Um, and he yeah. had cataloged everything by him for himself. He was so... Oh, great. I said, you got to be a producer. And I said, oh, you're going to be a producer. I'm going to put your name on it because you, you're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to be a producer. You get a credit said, now. Really? He said, yeah, do a producer now. There you go. Oh, that's um, good. So that is how that happened. That's good. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, what? Go ahead. Oh, no, that's kind of cool, though, because it, it probably gives him a role that he may not have known he was capable of, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, no, exactly. Because he's a skilled, um, I, I don't know, he's a manager of something. Oh, um, uh, um, a Späti chain in Canada. What's it called? Oh, like a, like a corner store. Yeah, but the chain, the whole thing. What's it called? The, the one, there's a big one there. A Circle K? That. Circle K, exactly. yeah, Circle K. He's the, the Western manager of Circle K. For Southern Alberta or something? Southern Alberta into oh. BC. He used to live in Vancouver until two years ago. Oh, and he okay. He did all that. Circle K, exactly. That's, oh, funny. Yeah, that's what he manages. So he is a manager, but mm. he's a very good actor. Nice. Yeah, and, and that was interesting, too, because he used to act uh, when he was little, when he, he wanted to be an actor, and then gave that up. Mm. And it was only two years ago where he said, no. Fuck that! I'm, I want to be an actor. Yeah, and Hell yeah. There he is. You know, he went back to his dream. That was very important That's, to him. So, kind of everybody's going back to their dreams, I guess. With this, <laughs> oh, That's yeah. Right. That, yeah. You yeah. wake up to your dream and you go, oh, yeah, or from your dream, or whatever, you know. It's right, like, but like, let's just do this. Let's do it. Stop waiting for. Yeah. The planets to align and somebody to give you permission and all those mm. things, and you just say. Let's just go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was often uh, what I don't think if, well, anyway, let's talk, let's talk about Suspiro. It's <laughs> <laughs> enough about me. What do you think of me? You know, um, um, I'll uh, put, because, put the because, links to all of my dad's stuff in the yeah, show exactly. notes if you <laughs> yeah. want to uh, yes. email my dad. You can. Yes. And you can leave the Steven Seagal movies out. Yeah. We're not, well, <laughs> we're not going to talk those about under, that. aren't really under our. Um, Purview. Oh, you're, never, you're never going to do a, a podcast with Steven Seagal movies? I mean, I'm down. I have a trilogy. I have a trilogy. <laughs> I mean, why not? But we'll only do yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can oh, finally do the commentary, the DVD commentary tracks they never asked you to do. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's what I'll do. We'll make. We'll have Justin make a bootleg 
Blu-ray compilation right. of year three Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> right. And we'll sell them on the black market. And if Steven's mad about it, he has to leave Russia to come get us. So. That's right. But that's a, there's, a, there's a little book, actually, um, about Steven Seagal movies. Uh, somebody wrote that, and I bought it. It's somewhere around here. It's maybe like 50 pages long. And it lists all the Seagal movies up to a certain point, including my three, right? Oh. And it rates them. And my three are the lowest rated ones. He said, they're all garbage. They're the, they're the worst cigar movies. And I go, how bad is that? That is really bad. <laughs> I mean, the guy was just vicious the way he described and he named me. Didn't know what the fuck he was doing. You know, this is, I mean, it was like, oh, really? Oh, I'm, man. I mean, if, I, I could be sad, but I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what the wow. relation, I don't know how to rate that. You know, he was cutthroat. He really hated them. (laughs) But that's an example of that. He really didn't know how these got made. He had no clue how Mm. these got made Mm. and how they got to be so bad. I say. That is what astonished me. It's like he had such an opinion. Is it clicking again? Yeah, clicking. Okay. I'll I'll just give you one of these, I think, if, uh, if it happens again. Is it any better now? Yeah, now it's good. Yeah, I, I, we'll now? probably just have to. No, no, nothing now. So it must be that. Okay. Apple. I'll I'll just give you the, anyway. like, this kind of hand signal, or something. Okay. Yeah. If it happens, then I'll just uh, yeah. toggle. Okay. Toggle cool. the. the well, that was the thing. On. That was the thing that surprised me about Suspiria that it was only twenty million dollars. Uh, was it really? It's amazingly low for mm. today's standards for a movie. With that much production value and uh, you know marvelous cast, mm. I guess maybe maybe she was cheaper because she f- played three roles and she got paid one. Yeah, paycheck? I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. So what they saved the, money. What was the third role? So I know, like, she was Blanc, and then Yosef, and I actually didn't know the third role. What What is the third role? Um, didn't she's um. Uh, mater superiorum right, in the exactly. end in like oh. the in the the suit in the prosthetic right. yeah. in like the orgy blood yes. orgy scene gotcha. like, yeah yeah sick so um, yeah just yeah. for the for the because you know we, we just uh, I don't know about anybody else but I'm feeling particularly scatterbrained today so <laughs> I will do the kind of uh the stuff I'm making a gesture in the air right now, which is like a lot of things I do on here, completely useless because nobody listening to this can see what I'm doing. But um, so uh, yeah, Suspiria uh, 2018 by Luca Guadagnino. I watched several videos today of him saying his own name so that I could try to say it correctly <laughs> on here. Um, Remake of the 1977 Dario Argento original classic of, you know, uh, 70s Italian horror cinema. Um, The remake stars uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and uh, Orlando, and it has music from Tom York. And uh, I should say the people's actual names, Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton, because... (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with me? And uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this movie a bunch over the years because it's one of the extremely rare cases of a remake being better than the original. And I know, yeah, I agree. I know that that is contentious, but 
So you agree, Dave? I totally agree. Yeah, uh, I'm a yeah. big fan of this movie. I, I think it's it's great. Yeah. This was this was only my second time seeing it when we watched it when my dad and I watched it uh, together. But I I have very vivid memories of watching it in theaters with uh, two time guest Sam Jones and my wife Annalise in probably the worst movie theater in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, we were the only people in the theater, and I was incredibly stoned. <laughs> and so uh, I remember then also particularly partway through the movie because it was longer than I thought it was going to be, and so maybe two hours into a two-and-a-half-hour movie thinking, ah, fuck, I really have to go to the bathroom. Um, I don't like doing that in the middle of movies, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'll just be really quick. So I, I ran out to the bathroom, and then because we were the only people in the theater, I realized, like, oh, I can, I can um, you know, hit my vape again in the bathroom <laughs> and get more stoned in the, in the bathroom. And uh, then when I came back, it was more or less the climax of the movie, which I was then, like, cackling, like, with glee-level stoned for the yeah. fairly infamous climactic moments yeah. of the movie. And so and very, I had a very good time watching this the yeah. first time, and I was glad on watching it again. It was like, uh, yeah, weed's not legal in Germany, so I was sober watching it this time, but it's still very good. So <laughs> It would probably enhance the strange, paranoid nature of these characters interacting with each other, like really strange psychic energies going on. The, oh, like, yeah. Kind of always like, what's going on around a character? They always can feel things going on around them. And they like, like looking at a some object on the wall, they're like, that object is has some kind of energy. You know, it's it's yeah. really strange, paranoid thing. I could see weed uh, working well with that. <laughs> <laughs> and some of those shots, you know, of like, you see like in the, the, the foyer of the dance school where like you see the camera will follow them going to the, you know, walking in the door and then moving through the space, but then the camera will pan over to like a mirror and then the shot, it holds on them in the mirror. And those sorts of weird moves also like, depending on how you feel when you're stoned, either lend themselves very well to being mm -hmm. high or it does just enhance the, the bad vibe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing, I, I'd never seen the original, so I, I don't, I mean, at least I'm pretty sure I didn't. You also asked me if, if you needed to, if and I, I was like, no. Oh, okay. You're good. Even though she shows up, right? That's true, yes. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting her name. Jessica Harper. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, but what, what was interesting is that in the beginning he did that a lot. What you guys were just saying with the with the objects, that stopped after the first um, when the the girl gets contorted. The first death. Yeah. Yeah. That, that went. That kind of storytelling. So the, that vocabulary it wasn't changed. used anymore. Yeah. The, the, the mm. didn't get, in the beginning it was. It was like uh, you know the camera. The camera was definitely telling this the story, mm. you know, because there's always the decision you have to make as a director. If you, well, most of them don't, but um, you have to make that decision. How am I telling that story? Where am I as a, as a storyteller? Am I using the character, and it's only the POV, or or it's only sure. through the eyes of the character that the story is told, or is the camera actually going places where the characters can't be. 
mm. and I'm telling that story, you know. And it, he yeah. he mixed he mixed that up a lot. He was he wasn't always uh, definite about that. Um, so that's why I noticed in the beginning that oh he's doing the object thing. Why why am I looking at this? Why does this have it? Be, they get a weight. They get a certain because they the objects are paid attention to. They you want to give them a meaning. Yeah, yeah. And most of the time it didn't. It didn't even have a meaning. No, it didn't. So, so it was like, what is he, who's doing this? Because it, mm. it wasn't necessarily tied to the character seeing it or paying attention to that object. No, you, it wasn't. Yeah, no, you're right. So I, I, and then the other thing I really noticed about him is that he never, he seldomly went back or reused the shot. You know, mm. usually you, you often what you do is if, if you want to be efficient, you do like a master, you know, where you, you get this, the idea of what's going on. And then you do the close-ups, you know, this one, this one. And then you have a conversation, you reuse that shot, click, click, ping pong, right? Sure. And he, he didn't do that. He only did that in the end. And in the beginning, he would always, he would never come back to a shot. He would always come up with a new shot. So you always had the sense that it's moving forward. Mm-hmm. The story it was it never looked back. Mm. The first hour he would, I thought it was great because yeah. that's one of the things Hitchcock did actually a lot. He he would never he would seldomly go back to a shot. Instead, you know, he'll a different version a, of a different version of the shot which which hook in, into the tail end of the next shot or uh, you know and the, but you always had the sense oh it's moving forward. You know, and traditionally we always go like, "Oh, we got a close up. We got a close up." Um, okay. And I thought he was very good with that. It was like the, and then the lens. He had the zoom thing, which was out of the seventies. You know, in the seventies, oh, yeah. the zoom was very popular. You know, yeah. suddenly it was like this. There was like the and, one significant shot, right? Uh, I think it was at the beginning where she sees she, she's looking at the mirror on the wall when she first gets into the right. studio, and then it zooms in on her. Oh, it, it cut out for a moment, but... Are you still there? Okay. Oh, you got me? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Anyway, that was... No, go on. Yeah. No, the Zoom, uh, the, zoom uh, the mirror, that was... Uh, what was it? There was a... Uh, I was thinking about, like, psychometry of, like, objects. Objects giving, like, energy. And so, like, when Susie walks into the... Uh, walks into the studio for the first time and then there's the mirror there she right the dance mirrors yeah like right in the in the lobby of the studio she and immediately when susie walks in she turns and looks at the mirror and it like does kind of that zoom effect and she senses the energy of this object which isn't explained right away so it's kind of this psychometry where she's like that object has power i can feel it and she's looking at it. And then it's not explained. She goes and does her audition. Blanc comes into the audition, like senses her energy, goes into the audition. And then as Susie, you know, gets the gets the admission to the uh to the school, she then leaves the studio. And you can see Blanc's behind the mirror. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah. it's a mirror, it's like it's like the object is used to view things. So Susie immediately detected that its purpose, its real purpose, is not the mirror. It's actually this tool for observation by the witches. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of that, like, 
so maybe in the beginning with objects and stuff, there's that kind of uh, energy transference. But as like like they put the energy in the in the objects like uh, talismans or tools that these witches use. But then as the movie goes along, maybe it it moves more towards Susie internalizing that power because she then like comes into her own powers as the movie goes along. She either comes into them or she starts oh, revealing them slowly yeah. to the other witches, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's less like the objects aren't, aren't necessary because she's directing her, like, witch powers or whatever. I mean, she comes into the show with a, with a strange frame of mind, right? Or from a strange frame of mind. I mean, there's no, there's no uh, soft landing. I mean, she's like... Mm disturbed right away right that's true yeah and she's like it's like whoa what's up with this lady yeah even before any of the 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 yeah. obviously creepy stuff right. is there yeah and she behaves rather strange yeah or mysterious herself I mean, yeah she's a mystery to us as well um you know, there's no, uh, this is where I am, this is, uh, you know, it's like... No, it takes like an hour for yeah. any of the backstory to right. actually be explicitly yeah. stated. You know, which is nice, which is, which is nice, because he, he does it very coherently, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, but we meet her immediately. Well, that's one of the things that, that like, when you were talking about the, the sort of non-repetition of shots, and, and then also in what you're talking about, Dave like with the psychometry thing that like what I'm sort of thinking about is that, that um, non-repeating shots makes it feel like it, it heightens the sense of like unfamiliarity or of like you're going into a mystery mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Cause that's what's happening to the character is that she is in a foreign city. She's in a new environment. She's meeting new people. And that like when you get repeated shots or, things like that, it makes you, oh, I've been here before. And so that even if we're in a space, like as as she's in the school and she's she's been accepted, she's going to rehearsals or something, that you still have the sense of like, yeah, but you're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, we've seen this building before, but we haven't seen it the same way before. So we're one. is this the same room? Is this the same hall? Is, you know. Mm. Yeah, the location, there was, you were disoriented. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, how big I, is this school? How how, big is you never got an establishing shot anyway. All no, you just, ever got is the front Just the front, front door, door right? yeah. You know, and the wall was right behind you. Yeah. So you couldn't get back even. No, you're really boxed in. Because you were in the GDR. If yeah. You went back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you weren't allowed to put a camera there. So he, he respected that, which was... That's true. He, he respected the fictional reality or yeah. something. Mm. Interesting. No, I'm thinking there's also the shot where like the where the students, you know, the, the younger women are it's like they're their day off and they're out on the town and then they see like across the street in some restaurant is the you know the professors slash witches mm-hmm. and they're having a dinner and it's there's another one of those shots where it's like we see sort of the character's perspective looking across this big wide street. Yeah through a window, mm-hmm. but then the sense of like some kind of psychic recognition thing. So like what Dave was talking about, mm-hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It also reminded me a little bit of when, when it started doing the, this zoom thing, it reminded me of two filmmakers, uh, Robert Altman. Because oh, he had a very good searching camera that was telling the story with the camera would be picking out the stuff that you needed to know. 
Um, and he told it this way, in long, long takes, right? I mean, that was very Altman-ness, and he was not shy about using the Zoom, which was a no-no back, you know, until a few years ago. Mm. Uh, stranger things, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the Zoom came back. Um, and then the other guy, of course, obviously, is Fassbinder. Yeah. You know, because mm. even Ingrid Carven, one of the witches, you know, she was from all of those early Fassbinder movies, you know. Um, and he always, him and Michael Bauhaus, his cameraman, um, had all the, always these long takes, you know, that, that mm. circled, that went, like that kitchen scene. The kitchen, the, the dinner yeah. thing. Yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah, that's marvelous shot, the choreography. Of, yeah. And the music in there, too. Yeah. Oh, there's some, yeah, there's some great moments. Those, those shots are pretty cool, too, because they're, the, like, kind of surreal in nature. So they give you the sense of almost like psychic viewing or like remote viewing. Like you're floating, mm. you're floating in this disembodied way through the scenes. Right. You know, so you it's almost like you're from the mm-hmm. perspective of some spiritual entity or from another character, maybe Susie's character is viewing them in like an astral way or a psychic way, you know. Yeah, he was he was his I mean, for as strange as the movie is. The storytelling, you felt like you were in good hands. You, mm. you you didn't get lost, even though it was bizarre. Yeah, you know, you you were in good hands, and he was using a lot of film stuff. You know, not the whole language. He he used the whole vocabulary that that is it potentially in in how you tell a film a film story. You know. Yeah. Most of us, you know, we use use. A narrow vocabulary of stuff that we had, and but this guy dipped right in, and um, um, to make it work for what he needed to tell, I thought it was yeah, mm. yeah. and and then he made that other movie before. It's for me the um, Call Me by Your Name. Call Me by Your Name. Like, That's really? the same guy. The yeah, same I know. Guy. It's crazy. It's like wow, that guy is really um, you know, he's, he's a filmmaker. Yeah. 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 He's a true filmmaker mm. in that in that sense that um, he'll he'll you know he's somebody who enjoys the medium obviously the the, the you know the narrative of of, of, of film stories um, and then the 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 um, um, the genre you know he knows what genre he's in mm. that's a good thought like you know for uh, we've been too unique this episode and we need to come back to some of our old fallbacks like why it hates Ari Aster um, <laughs> and uh, say that that's one of those problems that you know people people who don't come from horror who then make horror movies but seem to think that horror is a ghetto that they don't want to be mm. they don't want to get their shoes dirty in mm-hmm. and that I tend to feel like if you don't want to get your shirt your sh- if you think this is a ghetto and you don't want to get your shoes dirty then don't come here mm-hmm. um, where with with this, it felt like, oh no, this guy—he might not be a horror guy, but he knows what he's doing and does it well, mm-hmm. and sidesteps the Ari Aster bullshit. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I like that analogy. Ari Aster is almost like I'm gonna go into this ghetto and 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 raise it up. I'm gonna save it, kind of. Where um, this yeah. filmmaker is like, I'm gonna go into this culture and I'm going to pay respects and observe it. You know. Exactly, and, and interact in in a in a in a respectful way, rather than try and save it. Yeah, yeah. I also think that that helps. Like we were we were talking 
I don't remember now if this was in Egypt or if this was, I've had a very weird 10 days. Um, <laughs> at some point recently, I was talking to someone about apologies if it was either of you and I'm about to repeat myself, but I was talking to somebody about that Exorcist reboot that came out a few months ago. The, oh, um, no, that was me. Yeah, I don't think it was you either. No. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't even know about it. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. It's, it's, um, it's, it was, okay, so The Exorcist was getting remade over the summer, and when William Friedkin was still alive and the movie was about to come out, somebody asked him, you know, how do you feel about these people re remaking The Exorcist? And he was like, in, in so many words, was like, I don't like it. You think you can do better than me. The only thing I hope is that I die before this movie comes out so that I can haunt its release and make it fail. <laughs> and then sure enough, he died before it came out. Oh my God, yeah. And it did really badly. <laughs> and so he cursed it. So he successfully, he got wow. his wish. Um, I bring that up to say that like, there's often, there's, okay, so there's, there's my first, uh, be, there, there's one B in my bonnet is the thing of, People, re people making horror movies who seem to have, who seem to think that they're better than horror movies. Mm. Another one that is specific to remakes or reboots or things like that is people who don't show sufficient respect to the original, which then becomes a fine dance because it's like, yeah. okay, I do think you need to respect the original, but also if you're too faithful to it, then why did you even bother doing this? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, I'm sure, come up on some episode or another before, but like the in music, the thing I always think about is the Nine Inch Nails and Johnny Cash versions of oh, Hurt, right. sure. where the reason those are such famous, that that's such a beloved cover is because it's like respectful of the song, but does its own thing. It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't get held under yeah. Nine Inch Nails, but it also doesn't like, it's not Johnny Cash saying, I'm better than this fucking goth band. Mm -hmm. And I feel yeah, like right. the Suspiria remake basically does what the Johnny Cash Nine Inch Nails cover did by being like, this is not, this is basically nothing to do with the original Suspiria mm -hmm. except in certain core mm -hmm. elements. And he manages to completely throw the Argento aesthetic away, the, yes. all of this stuff, and Tom York throws the Goblin aesthetic away, mm -hmm. but in a way that doesn't feel like they're saying that Dario Argento and Goblin are bad. Just being right. like, well, we're not them, so we're going to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just being true to their own visions. And yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one thing about this film, too, is like that I love is it it bears repeatability because it's it has uh, the subtlety of all of its elements. You can't catch it on the first watch, which I always love that with films. You know, like watching it again, you're like, oh, now I understand that. And little pieces start to fall in. I, I find that to be my favorite kinds of films when it's not just like directly there. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and he he gave it a um, a. I imagine that the original didn't quite have that, but he gave it a context, like a historical context. No, oh, there was no context in the original. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, okay. yeah. No, because of the all of the. I mean, there was a in the in historically speaking, there was a ticking clock. Because it started with the Bada Meinhof and the Mogadishu yeah. when they did the hostage thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the there was a ticking clock because it ended pretty much 
the movie ended when the the Badaminov, um committed suicide in Stammheim in the in the jail. Yeah, and it was the 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 Herbst von Deutschland. Wie hieß er noch? Was mit fast der der deutsche Herbst als die Stammheim, weißt du? Ja, ja. Ich frage gerade meinen Bruder. <laughs> um, I'm asking my brother, but. Um, so he he gave it that that very real German background that was mm. actually was going on in this, in 1977, right? That for me as a as a German was very interesting because mm. you uh, um, well the, for an Italian, okay, yeah. I mean even for an Italian, you wonder, yeah. I mean that bottom minor thing is so German. Mm. It's such a German um, um, event that happened. I don't think very many people who aren't German know about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was world politics, but it was. I found it. It. it I found it fitting that he that he picked that. He could have picked anything, but for the paranoia that was yeah. going on in that country at the time. Yeah. You know, they were taking hostages. They were, they were bombing uh, uh, banks to get money. You know, they were, yeah. I mean, that was real terrorism. Yeah. You know, and that is the background for this story. Well, it's also a good point yeah. because it, it, despite being, despite being set in Berlin and the, the sort of iconic Berlin thing being the wall, it didn't have anything to do with the DDR. No, that one time they went over to the guy's dacha. Exactly. Right? That's the yeah. one time when you saw like a pass. Uh, oh, and train palace. They went okay. Through, yes. Yeah. But that's the same. Right. Yeah. But I mean that the, the, that the paranoia or the political grounding didn't have to do with like the Red Scare thing of like, oh, this, the, the, the communist East Germany and, um, and uh, you know, capitalist West Germany, which would have been the more obvious like yes. Berlin specific political grounding. Right. Yeah. It seems like uh it was the uh, because the of the turmoil in the region at the time was a good spot to have it was almost like feeding the witches kind of can feed off this terror and confusion in some way. That's right. You know? Yes. Yeah, because the the country was eating itself up, you know, it was such a split, you know, because I remember being in high school at the time uh, when that happened. And in the beginning, you know, as innocent as we were, sort of, you know, bottom line of it, they were like rebels. They were cool. They mm. were like, in a way, you went, yeah, anti-capitalist and all of that stuff that you have in your head when you're a teenager, you know, and then they radicalized themselves more and more and more. And you realize, oh, my God, this is, and the country, I mean, the politics did not know how to deal with it. And, yeah. um, um, and it was always said, that those uh, four, I can't remember the, uh, all four of them, but Rasper, uh, Enslin, and uh, uh, th those two other, that they actually were killed and didn't commit suicide. That's how I, it's, mm. yeah, that's how I always and, remember the you story. Know, the, 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 that story still is out there, you know, uh, you know it's, that, yeah. that they were killed. You know, what's interesting about that is, is the characters of like rebels, like are simultaneously they're simultaneously depicted as uh, terrorists, but also heroes. So there's there's this kind mm -hmm. of moral ambiguity when you're in that kind of uh, that you know, like you are fighting for something that you believe in. Of course, you're going to have an enemy that wants to that thinks of you as being evil, but you're going to also have allies that think of you as being like being proper and being. Uh, um, oh, I'm moving. I'm floating in space. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you are. I'm moving the, the camera for yeah, it was reasons to- I won't get into. It was totally and like... And now you can see me getting beer. <laughs> yeah, I can um, see the fridge. It was totally like a shot in Suspiria where I'm floating in space. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like the rebels being, uh, you know, simultaneously viewed by some as evil and terrorist by but being viewed by others as like heroic and like morally good because they're fighting for their belief system that tied to me in at the end with uh with Susie at, like when Susie is revealed as a uh, as the like main witch she's like at the very end she gives Yosef peace so she gives Yosef like uh like peace of mind and she's actually a morally good character at the very end but they go through this whole process of of this insane disgusting witch stuff that we are we generally regard as being bad and evil you know so Mm -hmm. it's it shows the witches are not they're not regarded as this uh it's not this simple black and white yeah they're good witches bad witches the moral the moral uh, fiber of being a witch is kind of the similar moral fiber of being like a rebel, a political rebel. You yeah. Know? So mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's a really good point. That that's that the like Baramainhof sort of ambiguity better mirrors the ambiguity of witches than does like the DDR or anything more. Well, the wall was very definite. Yeah, the wall is very. There's it doesn't get more obvious no. than a wall. I mean, you know. <laughs> If Trump builds it or if the GDR builds it, I mean the irony is—it's a fucking is, wall either it's way. A wall, yeah. Right? yeah, but I mean, I mean the, the irony of the GDR is that they built it to to save the people from the evils of capitalism. Yeah, it right? was them protecting themselves <laughs> from us. <laughs> from us, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, um, no, no, yeah, hmm. antifascistische Schutzwall. <laughs> You the know, anti-fascist the, protection wall. That's what it was called. That's what they called the it. Official, the official word. Yeah, from the, the communist East Germans, that's what the wall was called. It's, it's like a Anti-fasc- capitalism prophylactic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, yeah. The wall is a condom. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like how North Korea is always like, you know, the Western imperialist aggressors. Yeah, yeah. we're doing it for you. Like, Right. Yeah, we're we're keeping you safe. We're not keeping you in prison. We're not <laughs> yeah. like right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's... yeah, but it's also a good point because, like, so you know, you, my dad, did ask <clears throat> when we were watching this. I joke sometimes about the end of the Twin Peaks return thing, Cooper being like, what year is this? And that I'm increasingly feeling more and more like that. I genuinely forgot what year it was last week. Um, so I'm like, at some point when we watched this, you were asking me various questions about like how the Suspiria that we're talking about now compares with the original or what it has mm-hmm. to do. And it's like the original is still set in Germany. Mm. Um, it's set in the south. It's well, set, set somewhere Munich, outside right? Munich. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there is no political aspect to it at all. It's completely, it's, it's much more fairy tale like mm-hmm. You know, um, the, the the Susie character in that, you know, arrives at a school at this kind of like, yeah, this very fairy tale school in the woods that feels much more like, oh, you're going to the witch house mm-hmm. out there. And then, yeah, it, it feels very cut off from the world. Mm-hmm. So even though that, and it's interesting because 
they're they're set the same year. You know, obviously, like original Suspiria is set the year it's being made, right? And the new Suspiria is set the year the old Suspiria came out, right? But the old, but the new one is the only one that actually has anything to do with the year that in question. Mm. Yeah, the original one is almost from a, from the positive angle. The original one is timeless in mm-hmm. the sense that oftentimes when you we've talked about this in the show before, but that when you grapple with um, you know political messages, it, c- it can sometimes date things. Mm. Because then there's also the question: Why are these people making Suspiria and adding a political element to it in 2018? And the 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 very strong feminist angle that that the only male character in the movie is played by a woman oh, dressed oh. like a man. Yeah, and, yeah. So you have all that. So so there's. There can be that kind of stuff, and we've talked at times about the ham-fisted insertion of a political, pseudo-political aspect to a movie that doesn't need it. This is one of the rarer cases where it actually is like, no, this needed it. Mm -hmm. Or, no, that's wrong. It didn't need it. This is just very good. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I I do think it needed it. The only reason I, I redacted that is because I don't think the old movie suffers for lack of it, but I think the new movie is better because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you know, if if you're outside, I mean, if you're outside of Munich shooting a movie, then you know what what's next door, right? I know what's next door, yeah, thanks to you and my, it's, yeah, it's Dachau. It's Dachau. It's the concentration <laughs> camp Dachau. So you know, it's like it, it ran parallel to the movie, right? Because the the characters themselves were never affected by it because it was either on television. It was it starts right away on the radio. Yeah. With Baraman Mogadishu, you know, yep. it starts right right away, and you know where it's going to end. In a way, if you know German, if, as a German, I knew where that story was going to. In that sense, I knew where the story was going to end, or when it was going to end. Right about the time when these guys uh, were found dead in jail in Stamheim, yeah. I knew probably when that timeline gets there. Then just about we're at the end of, of the, the movie, movie of the of the fairy tale movie. Yeah, you know. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. So they were, they were. It was running parallel, but every now and then it had to sync up with the plot. Are we there, or you know, where are we putting this? Yeah. You know, the 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 killing of. I mean, it's it comes together, if I remember correctly, with uh, um, who's the other girl's character, the one that talks to to. Um, Mia Goth. Yeah. I don't remember her character name, but Mia Goth. Oh, yeah. You know, when she gets behind it, that's when the... the yeah, when she's up. meeting with the, the analyst. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, shortly after that, the suicides come out. You yeah. Know? So, you know, oh, I see. We're getting, to, we're getting to somewhere where it's undeniable that something something's going to go on here. And something that sort of mirrors what's... Yeah. Yeah. You know. And then it's, it's really like that um, also the, 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 the color scheme of the movie is very, very dark. Which mm. is extremely different from the Argento. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no screaming colors in there, even though, you know, usually in a horror movie you have that. I mean, the brightest thing is the red in the, the in the orgy. Yeah, the, 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 um, the I love those the strings. By the, yeah. the strings. I mean, just the idea of, of, of that, you know, what is that? Is that dripping blood is it you is know it hair is, is it, it yeah mm, tendons is it and at the same at the same time it wasn't solid it was you know very airy it's a great mm. wardrobe I yeah the wardrobe was excellent that entire movie 
um, in the set design, the, the, the dressing, it was so muted. There were no primary colors there, except, you know, when that red came out in the end, you know, and then That's it true. was all red. It was so much blood. <laughs> it was like, wow. And, and I, I, as, as brutal as it was, but the way, uh, you know, Blanc gets cut, <laughs> wow, wow. I mean, I should really say that, like, when I, when we watched it, you know, Sam and Annalise and I watched this in the theater back in 2018 when it came out, I was just, like, sitting incredibly high in my seat just going, <laughs> through that whole really? scene where I was, like, it was, because I was really, like, almost panic attack level high. Uh-huh. And being like, oh, part of me being like, oh, no, this was a mistake. But then the other part of me, sort of like what you were talking about, Dave, in the, the Lamont Young thing of realizing, like, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Like, this is just happening and being just kind of like, ah, yeah. like it's. But then, then the, but then when it cuts to the fucking mopping up. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Just yeah. losing it and like, and then this you, is awesome. Yeah. You find out that Blanc is not actually dead dead yeah she, yeah. When She's, she lifts her head yeah. out <laughs> okay, wow this is yeah good. yeah this is but because that, that was interesting to me because i was like is blanc wh- whose side is blanc on because she's sort of on Susie's side but i don't think mm-hmm. she is because she tries to stop the ritual at the end yeah and she's like no wait something's mm-hmm. wrong something's wrong and Susie's like no 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 let's do this because Susie's obviously the most powerful one in the room and she's like, no, no, you guys ask for it. And Blanc's like, no, no, I'm not ready for this. No, 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 stop it. And then the mother Marcos kills her just out of greed because she's like, I, I want to be young again. I, I, it's out of desire, you know. And yeah. so I was like, is Blanc, is Blanc uh, of a more enlightened state because she can even sense it going on? Like, is is she like trying to do the right way of doing this ritual, do this magic? Is she trying to be pure with it? Because, and, and that's why she stops it? Or is she stopping it because she knows she's going to die? Uh, or, you know? Yeah. But the the reason why I, I wonder if Blanc was on the right side is because they only killed the witches that voted for Marcos at the end. They didn't kill the witches that voted mm-hmm. for Blanc. That's true. So mm-hmm. I think Mother... Uh, so Susie's character, I forgot which mother she was. Is she Suspiriorum? She's Sus. Oh yeah, right. She becomes Suspiriorum. She's Mother Suspiriorum. Yeah. So Susie recognizes that Blanc is aligned with her. They're they're aligned in similar, whatever you call philosophies, witch philosophies, or uh, you know whatever. Because <laughs> because she kills everyone that's misaligned with Blanc, but she keeps Blanc's uh, supporters around. So they're obviously. They're aligned with what Susie's mother Suspiriorum thinks is the nature of her, you know, power. I guess, right? Um, yeah. So that would make Blanc a good character, I guess, one of the good guys, <laughs> if you wanna, if you consider Suspirium a good guy. Yeah, but did she? Is it one of those things where she realized she wasn't always like that, though? I think she realized that in the moment, mm. right? Yeah, I, I mean, don't think she came in that way. I think that was interesting, the reversal of that character's uh, feelings about it, mm. right? Yeah. Um, while it makes, me, it makes me ask the question of you guys, so Susie, how, 
when she comes in there, so strange, right at the top of the, the movie, is that because well, the okay, is so they're the, calling. Is there like a, a pull? I think so. Because and there was, it's one of the scenes that made me. I remember not known to herself though, right? exactly. Right. So one of the th the scenes that made me laugh a bit um, is that there's the shot. I think it's I think it's right before she has the. Um, she meets with Tilda Swinton and it's like, she says, oh, where the Mennonites are different from the Amish and the, they have that conversation. Yeah. That you see Susie as, like, it's like a flashback thing to her as a little girl mm -hmm. in the Mennonites, you know, homeschooling thing. And they're trying, it's like, you have to, we're looking at American geography, but she's just drawing like a circle around Berlin on the map. I found that very funny because of how many people in the art world probably have done that. <laughs> They're sitting at their classroom at CalArts, yeah. drawing a circle around Bagheim, yeah. just writing, you know, <laughs> writing Sven Machvat's name and then drawing a big heart around it. Right. <laughs> just, okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So I thought that that was, both times I thought that that was very funny, but the humor aside, I it was like, okay, so something since birth, something yeah, okay. unknown to yeah. her has been calling her there, has been saying, because especially like, okay, it's, it's a joke in 20, in the 21st century, of course you want to move to Berlin, you're an art person, you're a <laughs> dancer, you're, that's the most cliche answer you could possibly right. give. But in 1977, why the fuck would you move to Berlin? Paris, yeah, or, but... Except unless you're David Bowie and Iggy Pop. Right. Because that was 77 too. <laughs> right. And I don't know when, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of choreography that was inspired by Pina Bausch, mm -hmm. and that would be Wuppertal. That's true. So, um, but I don't, Pina Bausch in Witzigern schon? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she's been around, I mean, she died a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't have been Berlin. Any dancer wouldn't have, would not have gone to Berlin, they would have gone to Wuppertal. No, and all the, so much, I mean, especially still in the 70s, it was like, you know, I mean, okay, this is not entirely true, but like most of the stuff. <laughs> but that people, can you imagine, like, in a big Hollywood movie, somebody cir circling Wuppertal? <laughs> <laughs> this is a town near where, like, my family is from. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so it's like a much smaller town. And it's like Wuppertal. Uh huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's somebody circling Milwaukee. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. But no, that they, um, I mean, yeah, because also then, like, so much of the music that that people, when people talk about, like, like Krautrock and all that, mm -hmm. those were all West German bands. That's right. Mm -hmm. That was Cologne and Dusseldorf and, I mean, Tangerine Dream were from Berlin. Mm -hmm. uh, and Cluster were from here, but then they moved. Harmonia. Mm -hmm. They were right? um, Lüneburg. Möbius. Möbius and Redelius. Yeah. Yeah, so, but the point is that, like, in the mm. 70s, you wouldn't like move if you're American. Why are you moving to Berlin yeah. for your art career? You're going to move to New York. You're going to move yeah. to Paris. You're going to move to London. Right. So then the idea that she had been compelled by something. Yeah, she had like a predestined path with that in some way. Yeah. Yeah. The way I thought about her character was almost like the Dalai Lama or something. You know, where like <laughs> oh, the right. like the Dalai Lama is dest is a, like they recognize this person as being a reincarnation of this spirit, but they still have to teach him, you know? He mm -hmm. still has teachers mm -hmm. and he still goes through like studies to come into his, I guess, come into his abilities. 
So maybe is maybe she had recognition that it was something in her, but it wasn't until she got to the school that she started to recognize and come into her powers, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or that there's something inherent in the space. Yeah. Where, you know, was, that, yeah. where was the point when she had to, when she, when she I mean, you, you, when it was revealed to her that she had to make a choice, you know what I'm saying? That she had to accept that. Mm. I mean, I'm going to take yeah. that. Or, or was that only right at the end uh, when, when, when the orgy happened? See, I, you know I wonder because... It's, it's like, or do I shy away from this? Mm. Am I afraid mm. of this? There was never really a moment where she wanted to back off and yeah. go, oh, fuck, this is too big for me. I can't handle right. this. Which is sort of classical in a way. It's, yeah, it's it is. It's sort of dram- dramaturgy, right? What were you going to say, Dave? Well, I was, I was, one of the big questions I had at the beginning of the movie when you don't really know that Susie is revealed to be this powerful witch, you know, um, there's Olga's death. Who, and I was like, who killed Olga? Uh, and I was, I don't, I don't know who killed her. And then at, at one point, uh, you can hear Blanc saying, she couldn't have known she carried more of our intention than we expected. So it suggests that, like Blanc is like, well, we were angry with Olga and then uh, Susie kind of carried that along like inadvertently and killed her on accident using our intention. So it was like an accident on the witches. But then at the end of the movie, I I was wondering if Susie actually came into her powers and killed her intentionally or just coming into her powers accidentally went too far, you know, and killed Olga. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I don't I don't know if Olga was killed on purpose. I don't think she was. That is a good question. I don't know. But then Olga is the first girl, right? Yeah, the the the, the pretzel. Yeah, yeah, pretzel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then you see Patricia. But didn't but the witches wanted her killed, right? Yeah. And they used Susie to as a as a tool, right? Or isn't that how it worked? Yeah, because also like Patricia is then, you know, in the underground cavern you know is and and then we find out we find out they have a bunch of girls down there who they're they're like either that part is just fucked yeah that part is yeah it's so messed up (laughs) like Uh, and i don't know how they're using them they might be using them as like batteries or something or like some kind of tool that they will they're saving them as tools for the final ritual you know Sorry, can you say that again? Oh yeah, cut out. Uh, so, are those like girls downstairs? Are they being kept as like energy sources, like batteries, or are they being saved as <laughs> tools for the final ritual? Like they're like, oh, we're gonna need yeah. these. We're gonna need because then the the end they all appear then and like they disembowel themselves in that final ritual. Yeah, and so like, oh, maybe they're just tools being put on a shelf, waiting for that moment. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm not well, I sure. Think it's, I would probably go tools. And I'm not sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure if Olga appears in that last one. So Olga might have just been like, maybe that's it. Maybe they were going to preserve her as a tool, but then Susie's powers just destroy her too much. And it's like, oh, well, it we went kinda, too far. It went too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think you're onto, onto it with that, that it was like the intention was to kill her or to, you know, not kill, but to take her out of the picture. Right. 
but that they didn't expect it would go like that. Mm -hmm. That was that powerful. Yeah. I mean, after that, they they were almost in awe of Susie. Of her, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like incredible. And I, I don't think she quite understood the awe she got. No, that's that's continues to be the thing is is how like sort of unconscious uh, it feels, or how it se- how it seems that she's so unconscious of mm-hmm. what's going on that she is being led by something outside of her. Yeah, it's not just the story of an ambitious person. Mm-hmm. It's not Black Swan. No, exactly. You know. Oh, it's not like the red shoe. Di- the, re- um, the red shoes. The red shoes. You know, not red shoe diaries <laughs> with with, with Mahler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anybody remember that? I, I do clearly. I do too. <laughs> That's the three of us. Write right in if you remember the red shoe diaries. Um, David Dukov. Yeah. First big. Yeah. That was a. That was. It always ended with the diary entry, right? That was so. so what was his king? Uh, the director, writer, producer. Oh, man. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I don't remember <laughs> yeah. that much. Right. No, it was such a obvious convention, right, with the diary. It was like, wow. That's well, like cool. Sex in the City with that's the laptop. Blunt. and right. Yeah. Like, I know. It's... Right. Okay, um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, but because it didn't have that obvious ambition, which is in Red Shoes, which is in Black Swan. It's the conflict, you know, the competition. These girls weren't... They weren't competing for the number one spot. In the beginning, nobody wanted it. Actually. No, it actually seemed yeah. much more communal and yeah, yeah, yes, because of the table, the kitchen, and all of that. They seem very sort of respectful, and mm-hmm. it has that kind of which I guess ties in with like the the whole coven. Oh right, the coven sure. notion and that yeah. sort of non. I mean, okay, you do have hierarchy in the sense of like the the mothers and all that, but that it's much less of a tiered ladder-like hierarchy than what you, I think, are more used to Mm -hmm. or what we might call like a patriarchal hierarchy, Mm -hmm. maybe? I don't know. But And yeah, like so many of the dancers, it's like when Susie shows up, even though she does the the kind of classic like uh, prodigy move of like, who is this girl from out of nowhere that thinks, you know, Mm -hmm. Blanc is going to be at her audition and then oh shit, she's really good. Like You don't get the sense when she then meets the the other dancers that they're like, they're not shooting daggers at her. They're mm-hmm. not uh, saying, hey, you know, you're, there's no hazing. Mm-hmm. You're going to have right. to work your way up to whatever. You know, the there is Olga's sort of re- rebellion, but that doesn't seem to have, that doesn't have anything to do with like, who's this new girl? That's mm-hmm. a that's a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And as uh, the um, to go back to that basement one more time, um, I thought the staging was incredible. Like that, there were like like animals crawled up against the wall. I mean, there was this room, this hall, right? But what do they do? They crawl up right against the panel of mm-hmm. this dark wood, you know, uh, yeah. and then they turn over and they go yeah. back in there. I thought, how perfectly right on. I mean, that is. Yeah. You know, in some in somebody's lesser hands, they would have he would have staged that differently. He would have mm. used that whole thing, and he, he uses the whole room. But then he finds that corner there. Yeah, and that's that's where the animal crawls back because mm. it's the only safety, comfort, 
you know. Yeah. I thought that was that was the creepy mm. part of that. Mm. Of course, you know, yeah. when the leg breaks and you go, that's fine. But I thought that staging was yeah. excellent. It yes. really was. Yeah. Fine, well thought out, you know. Like from the inside of that person, what would the, uh, a hurt animal do? Right, what would you do if you were one of these things? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow, that's... Find that one corner where nobody finds me, you know, where I can hide possibly from anything else that's going to happen to me. And I'm going to turn my, my back to all of this yeah. and just be inside me and just, oh, I thought it was creepy. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, because I had the sense it was like almost like catacombs. Like those were slots where you would, yeah. we, would, we would place bodies, which when you're describing the safety part of it is really interesting because we even build safe structures for our dead, you know, in catacombs. It's like, let's place them in this this spot where they might that's be true. comfortable, you know? That's cool. Yeah, there is. And that that idea of like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I've just seen, I was just in Egypt and saw a number of tombs. Oh, right, yeah. It was yeah. in some pyramids and things like that. And so <laughs> it is very remarkable the lengths people will go to to secure the dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's sort of a non sequitur, but... What a, did you watch the after the credit too, Dave? Oh, no. I, that one shot, right? I forgot. Oh, no, I miss, I miss that. I have to go back and watch that. Oh. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Should we tell No, them? yeah. No, no, ahead. I'm glad that you told <laughs> we me. We haven't I even done the it. summary in this, so this is, I've just been, they were flying by the seat of our pants okay, here. Yeah, so. we'll do the summary later. Yeah, whatever. I'll do it at the very end, and then we'll cut it off. Okay, cool. Yeah. Episodes backwards. <laughs> it's backwards. But, yeah. No, there's this, this is one piece, so all the credits run, right? Yeah. And then sometimes, like, what used to happen in, Dan Aykroyd movies. <laughs> There's one more shot, right? Yeah. Or or Adam Sandler or something. You know those movies. There's one more piece in this. This Susie, she's look at. It's a close up, a very close shot of her, and she's obviously it's after the orgy, and she's uh, uh, she's accepted her 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 position, and she looks at the camera and then goes her hand reaches up. And goes just outside of the frame of the camera and touches touches something and then pulls back. And that's it. Oh and then man. It cuts to black. Yeah. And then the film is over. So it's like, I don't understand it, but Do you, that uh, that's, it? Or, that's that's what I love about this movie because there's um it the the like rituals aren't explained. So there's this one moment when uh in the in the moment when uh Blanc and Susie are talking and and Susie's describing the Mennonites and her like upbringing and stuff. Blanc uh at the end goes into the bathroom, washes her hands and then flips the water down quickly yeah. and then you see Susie like sort of hop to attention cuz she can sense it and then Blanc goes behind her and just like rubs her like passes her hand behind her head. So it's like that same kind of like whatever this writ like um this magic witch rituals are they're not explained. So I assume that the Susie reaching up is kind of doing another thing like that but towards us the oh, audience, you know. Towards us. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. That's cool. Yeah. She's, do she's doing it to us. Yeah. Yeah. And sending <clears throat> us off into the parking lot. Yeah. Go, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know what Blanc did in that ah. moment because she she brought Susie to attention. She might have unlocked something in Susie, or she was either doing either a protection for Susie, like I'm going to give you protection, or a blockage, like I'm going to protect myself 
from you, she senses. But it was like some interaction of like either giving or taking or, you know, like either it was a barrier. I don't think it was a connection because the hand going down behind her almost sounds, almost seems like a wall, you know, yeah. coming back to the, you know, Berlin wall kind of thing. Um, seems like a barrier, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe Susie coming up and touching, it makes contact and it's not a barrier. It's like a connection. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's cool though. Right. It makes me think of that moment, Jodie Foster, where she goes, blink. And the thing he goes, remember? In contact? Contact. Oh, yeah. I haven't mm. thought about contact in a while. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so obvious, because it, you know, it's, it's to us. So it's, yeah. it's like our reality ripples at that moment, right? Well, there's a, there's a thought that I'm, I've been trying to go somewhere, figure out where to go with this thought since you were talking about the Bada Meinhof stuff, but that like, okay, let me see if I can, I'm going to basically ask you guys to finish this thought for me, but that like, <laughs> one of the thought, one of the sort of themes that seems to be here in, okay, so in the, in the proper story of the movie with the witches and the, the dance school and with sort of Susie's unexpected level of power and all of that, it feels like, well, okay, partially it feels like a version of the thing that we've talked about before on the show numerous times, which is the like, be careful what you wish for thing. So you imagine there's this coven and they're like, uh, super broad strokes, they're like, okay, we're accumulating power. We're we're building our storehouse of power or something like that. So we're, we're drawing all these young women to us and we're training them in, in using them up, whatever it is, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then they get in the form of Susie kind of more than they were looking for. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, oh fuck, yeah, sure. she was bigger than we, mm-hmm. than we thought. And what I'm trying to figure out is exactly what, because it seems clearly connected to the, through line of the Bada Meinhof stuff and what that meant for Germany, for your generation, for as, as kind of an emblem of young people, that like this idea of youth culture uh-huh. and a similar be careful what you wish for thing, right. that there's something about like, these are the kids, this mm. is the next yeah. generation, this is something like that. And that idea that kind of an older generation generally, unless you're completely completely evil mm-hmm. you're like you know, even bad people like their kids or whatever like we still have we're so future oriented that we're the next generation but that something like the way the bottom meinhof stuff went can be a kind of like ah fuck we didn't think it would go like that mm-hmm. what you were saying about them being cool and then suddenly uh-oh yeah yeah so I there's a connection started, there right. and i don't know what it is but it's th- well it's a gen it's a gen no go ahead. oh go no, ahead. no 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 yeah um, no, it's a generational thing, right? I mean, you know, in, in 66, when the student revolts started really taking place, 66, 60, the whole 68, 68 thing, yeah. right? You know, it, it was in, in Paris. Paris I mean, in, Amer- in America, it was something else. It was about the Vietnam War. Yeah, right? you guys weren't in that. But in, so. in Germany, it was specifically about the young generation asking their fathers, what did you do in the war? Yeah. On what side were you on? Right. That was what. That was a completely different uh, um, set of circumstances than than the Viet- protesting against the Vietnam War or or uh, you know the yeah. civil rights. Or civil rights. Yeah. Right? Still, all the old Nazis were right back in their place. They were back uh, in power. They were oh. in judge and 
judges in school and schools, uh, the whole doctors, thing. Uh, right. So this is a generational thing, and maybe that's in the in the with the witches. It's like, mm. where is the next generation coming from? Yeah. And how powerful is it? Are we ready? For that, and did we ask the right questions? Yeah. yeah. Or, or was it correct to ask that question because it's the Pandora's box? Mm. You go, oops, oops. Yeah. Can we put that back? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the question was yeah. correct, but did we you, like the answer? We, but that's, no, yeah. really. Or we weren't ready for that. Yeah, that's answer, like. Really, but it makes me think that when you when you go into the world and you do you know you do your magic, you ch make changes in the world. Uh, you don't get, like. Sometimes we may think that we are fighting for a conclusion. We're like, oh, we want to end. Uh, we want to end something that we think is wrong. But often, when you do that, you basically give birth to a new process. Mm -hmm. So you, it's not, it's not a conclusion. You don't stop a thing and then it's just utopia. You know, you give birth to a new world, which then starts a new process, which is going to have its own challenges, its own badness, and and stuff like that. And I think. Uh, you know, revolutionaries doing that in a political sense, they make these ch extreme changes and it doesn't fix the world necessarily. It just starts a new process up. Um, in parallel to, I, I think of Blanc as the, I think in the ritual at the end, Blanc is the one who completed it and that she actually probably called forth maybe Susie's character. But in the same way, she thought, um, she wasn't fighting to get like Marcos thought, oh, I'm going to be reborn and I'm going to be a hottie again. You know, it was like very, it was kind of vanity, you know, but Blanc was like, no, I'm, I'm going for something deeper. I want something deeper. And so I think she was orchestrating the whole thing. And then at the end, she got what she, what she actually was fighting for, which was this new path, but it was totally different than maybe she thought she's still alive, but now she has this. I don't know where her journey begins now. This ritual came to fruition for her. And it's like, okay, now I have to deal with this reality of this thing that I brought up, brought into the world, you know? Similarly, yeah. maybe to the like revolutionaries, like, oh, we we made this happen. Now we have to deal with it um, in some ways. Yeah. No, it makes me think of the Joel Barocco thing that's come up on a couple of episodes where he, in talking about magic, said that uh, something to the effect of like, if where you end up, even remotely resembles where you thought you might end up, you haven't gone very far at all. Mm -hmm. And that the strangeness that befalls the world <laughs> that mm -hmm. we've all lived through, and then in the movie, um, Blanc, for example, would be rather evidence that like, no, you actually have gone somewhere. Because mm -hmm. you didn't, you've ended up somewhere you couldn't have imagined. Mm. But isn't it also, I mean, if you want to spin this revolutionary thing Further then, I mean, there, I got the sense that there was something corrupt within the 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 the, the coven. The coven, mm, the totally. Was, that was uh, it had lost its its purity soul. or its soul, or yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because mm. the way these ladies were going about, and René Zutendijk, uh, the blonde, um, she, in there, she was perfect. She it, felt demented. Yeah, like she was like the way she was acting. It was yeah. like this is really bad. Acting done very well. Exactly. Yeah, you're intentionally oh, yeah, yeah. acting badly yeah, yeah. because she's yeah. a really good actress. Yeah, because she did all those Paul Verhoeven movies back in Holland, right? That's right. So, um, 
you know, so then if, if a Susie gets in there as innocent, I mean, she, she cleaned up the place in a way, and maybe that is something Blanc wanted to happen mm. because she herself felt, you know, I mean, Angela Winkler, also the one with the... Uh, with the, the mole. With, with the, the mole. The beauty mark. Yeah, with <clears throat> the beauty mark. A creepy person. Mm, really? Creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't trust these people even if they were, if they were witches. No, these are like, no. Yeah. They, they had, don't have a right anymore to do what they do, you know? And if you, yeah. if, if a Susie, if I'm going to be a witch, well, then fuck it, I'll clean this up. Oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Susie's like the revolutionary uh, of this small society. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. No, and it does feel like it's, it, it has a bit of the like, um, it might again be the just having returned from Egypt thing, but it makes me think of like Sekhmet or any number of like uh, cleansing, cleansing destroyer yeah. energies that you might find in entropy or something in science. Yeah, exactly. That's something. And, and so then when thinking about like, the trying to, I'm really trying to make this work, but the, the, <laughs> like, <laughs> the bottom line, because it feels like there's something here. Because it was somebody's in idea to put the Bada Meinhof stuff in there. That yeah, wasn't. It didn't have to be there in tribute to anything. That was very intentionally put there. Right. So then thinking that it's like, okay, so if we're talking about this dance society that's potentially corrupt, as you're saying, we should also point out that the 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 performance that they're rehearsing, the the famous thing that Susie says, I saw this several times, blah, 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 is a work called Falk. Yeah. Folk. Which oh, is a yeah. completely problematic word true, for yes. Germans. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, so to anybody who's not German, that is... The, okay. So, Wir sind das Falk. Yeah. yeah. So, so Falk becomes folk, becomes people, becomes folk. Nazi shit. And everybody, well, actually, the DDR claimed it too. Yeah, for you know, socialist reasons. But these know. sort of ideas of like we're the the people, a, a kind of ethnic homogeneity. We're the in, they're the out. Mm. Yeah, that's how we identify ourselves. And it's like so having a company, a, a dance company, whose <laughs> uh, kind of flagship work is an extremely problematically titled, oh. mm -hmm. uh, basically national ethno nationalist statement mm. yeah or it signifies that to germans mm -hmm. that then having a new generation come in with a kind of sekhmet energy to to burn this bitch down mm -hmm. feels like well that's what badmeinhof was trying to do mm. yeah i'm if i'm which is often you know i'm not this is not me coming out yeah. as pro badmeinhof but like that that's often the thing that that revolutionaries have in common is that idea of the righteous, mm -hmm. like the thing is broken, we can't fix the system, we have to burn it down and make a new system. Mm -hmm. And that then uh, Blanc as kind of this, this like trying really hard not to say liminal because it's become a trendy word, but mm, yeah. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> you know, this, this like in-between character where she's older than Susie and the other trainee dancers but she seems younger than some of you know certainly than than marcos and mm -hmm. and all that being this kind of okay so i get the point of why we need to instigate change but then ah fuck wait i'm still too old to be on the side of the change and then that the, the, then from that comes the conflict mm -hmm. of her oh god wait did i make a mistake by initiating this yeah right okay that's yeah yeah, hell yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. My perspective is as like a non-German because hearing like Volk, I was thinking, you know, a fair like of the people, you know, fight for the people kind of thing. But I wasn't. I wasn't aware of that other. You know. The other side of it. It's a pretty specific. It is okay. Thing. Yeah. I think yeah. if you're not German, you don't. Yeah, you wouldn't think get that. Why you would get a little collar pulley? Oh yeah, that's interesting. On somebody, <laughs> somebody talking yeah, no, about a, that. It's a loaded word. But I mean, you, you, I don't. Uh, okay, so I also think that you're not wrong because, like, in your interpretation of it, because that's I can see how that would be in there too. That thought that like the people, and because we've got the. That we do have the sort of communist or coveny themes coming in there that there could also be that spin on it that like talking about the people doesn't have to be an ethno-nationalist thing. It mm-hmm. could potentially yeah. in different hands in a different realization um, instead be something about something Marxist instead of fascist yeah. or whatever. But like, Yeah, from my, my yeah. perspective as like a kid growing up in America, the word folk was always just like... Um, it was like non-high class, you know, it was like working class kind of idea. You're right. So, Like Woody Guthrie. Or yeah, like- right. So I always thought of it, like the word in America to me seemed like an empowerment of people who have less than. So, you know, the culture of the people, the working class, the culture that empowers them, not, uh, not like a chosen people, which I'm getting the sense uh, here. Yeah, that's why in America the... VW is the VW, not a Volkswagen. Yeah, so the, that, which is really interesting because my my interpretation of that was always like the people's car, you know, like. Well, that that was the idea. Yeah, that is literally what it means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no different than Henry Ford, like the Model T, right? That was basically well, he was what, a Nazi too. So well, that's where the inspiration <laughs> came from uh, to to build a Volkswagen because yeah. you know Hitler, Goebbels, or whatever, you know, they wanted. That idea, mm, yeah, and, you know, and they were, yeah, they were, they felt about the, the certain people the same way. Exactly, uh, yeah, they had a lot so, in common. <laughs> but it's interesting um, also that that the peace folk in in, in the movie in the movie is interrupted. It doesn't work mm, out. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah, it never gets finished, right? Because maybe you can't finish that, like the thousand year empire that lasted thirteen years. Exactly. <laughs> 12 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Oh, the, yeah. That's interesting. Susie, Susie ends it too, right? She basically causes her friend to wake up from the spell and realize her broken right. leg. Um, yeah. The, the pain is real. Yeah. That's a very good point. So, uh, you know, it's like, and maybe that's when, when uh, Tilda Swinton uh, realizes, uh-oh. What have I put this, into motion. Yeah, this is gone this oh, is turning, yeah. this is going sideways. Yeah. You know, the whole thing is going because then it 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 intensifies that the witches want to ha- they want something to happen. They, you know, it's like suddenly it's like yeah. oh, wow. we can't do this performance level if we can't pretend or the ecstasy that gets us there, it doesn't work. Yeah. Then uh oh, you know, the spell is wonky. Yeah, or the or the mm. power of the spell, or whatever they're doing. I, I, it's I not still, contained. I yeah, yeah. That's that's you know, really something, interesting. Something something pushed in there that is off. Yeah, that's really interesting you know? because at like in the performance when they end the performance and they're tending to uh, the girl's broken leg, Tilda Swinton Blanc is staring at Susie, like staring at her, like what's going mm-hmm. on? What's going on? And then. When all the girls go out for drinks, 
and Susie is on one end of the table and Blanc's on the other end of the table. That was the first time I noticed that Susie had the upper hand because Mm -hmm. Blanc is looking at her, staring at her, staring at her. And then at one point, Susie gets, she kind of moves and you, and then the camera turns to Blanc and you see Blanc's eyes move sort of off screen a little bit, like in a confused way. And then the camera goes back to Blanc's perspective and Susie is gone. And you can see mm-hmm. that Blanc doesn't know what, what just happened. Where did she go? And you can see that she's not in control, that Susie's in control yeah. at that moment. Yeah, and I think the dinner was the idea we need to pull this together now, right? Mm, right. I think that's why- A unity it, thing, like- Right, and we need- yeah, I think that was the turning point where they realized, oh shit, we got to do something. Yeah. And uh, I think Bonk didn't know what position she was going to take. Mm, am right. I lining up with Susie? Or with or the am old I guard? With the old guard, right? Yeah. I think that was, right. She was in an extreme conflict at that point. And that's the position. Wow. The staging at the table is very good because, Whoa. you know, it's the it's on the side and these guys are across. Yeah. You that's know, that, clear it, line it, it, of sight. Oh. Yeah, Absolutely. you know it's interesting bringing it back to the revolutionaries. This was like Patricia's character, right? She didn't know if she aligned with the coven, or if she aligned with her revolutionary sides. You know, Patricia was like torn between worlds. She's like, do I do I do the coven? Do I become this vessel for the witches, or do I go to mm-hmm. my my material aspect of myself, which is the revolutionary? These things that I believe in, and now Blanc is like forced into that position that Patricia was in. Like mm-hmm. kind of torn between yeah. worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean there, there was something about that that orgy, and I, I don't know if you, I think you read the book *Das Parfum* mm-hmm. by Zuskin. Oh, of Patrick course. Zuskin. I don't know if you do you know that book or the no, movie? No, I'm not actually, familiar. Too. The it's called *Perfume* in English, mm. and there's a movie from like it. twenty years ago. It's an American or a British movie, maybe. It's an American. Uh, yeah. No, it's a German movie. Huh. The movie was German. Yeah, it was by, by Lola Tom Tickford. But it was in English. I know. That's what they tried anyway. Okay. And they shot it. In, yeah. Okay. Remember, anyway, in the book, at the end, there's this huge orgy. Spoilers for perfume. Everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> a forty-year-old book. But that's what it reminded me of. That that. The singularity, the power of, of a single character yeah. being a, the. I am actually just because Dave hasn't hasn't read this. I am okay. going to to synopsize perfume very quickly here. It's a book about what is it? It's like in the uh, early early eighteen hundreds, something like that. Mm-hmm. Early, yeah, yeah. It's about a like an orphan, young orphan boy who has who has no smell himself. Mm-hmm. He does not smell like anything. Um, but he is the like perfect, like the most uh, prodigiously talented perfumer. He can smell everything, mm. but he has no smell himself. So as he grows up, he apprentices with a perfumer in Paris, rises to the highest heights of uh, that society or whatever. And then, but he's also insane and a murderer. And part of his uh. thing is like th- because he he can smell all the emotions when people die and he can smell mm. the, the, lust. the lust and yeah. the fear and, and all these things. And so the point is, it's sort of the mixture of like, it's, it's partially a, a maybe Dexter-like serial killer 
story where... Oh, that's interesting. Like yeah. that. But it, it, it culminates in him, he's trying to make like a, a scent mm-hmm. that kind of like in Suspiria, they're coming up with this powerful, ritually charged uh, dance performance that he's trying to make a perfume that will... An apocalyptic perfume, yeah. basically. And it culminates in this entire, like this town square orgy where just everybody is completely animalistically overtaken by the smell and is like fucking and I think hurting each yeah. other and it just goes completely nuts. And, and people that hated each other before suddenly being overcome by the lust because of this the pheromones or whatever that yeah. it's just yeah. the enemies are suddenly fucking in the streets <laughs> and like you know that it's it's a total like Sodom and Gomorrah Absolutely. bacchanal whatever yeah. thing yeah. and then of course you know whatever the next day everybody wakes up and is it's just like a pile of naked bodies and they, they all slowly up, wake they up they have to and, clean up the blood right and so it's like the orgy in right. in Suspiria so that's uh, sorry if you have no, that, yeah, that perfume. It, yeah, right. it reminded me as we were talking. It reminded me of that book a lot. It does. Actually. Yeah. Um, when I think, and the amazing thing about that book is it's it's very short. It's very short, oh. but it's very intense. It's very worth. It's very. And it's one of my brother's favorite books. Yeah. It's very much worth reading, yeah. even though I have just synopsized it. It's not one of those. Yeah. No, because that, the language is very well. I mean, it's really fine. Exactly. Language. Um, uh, I don't remember right. the movie being very good. The movie was not Skip good. the movie. Mm. No, uh, he was, he was over, in over his head. Yeah. <laughs> was, My memory of that is that it's one of those books that's like the thing. Don't that, do it. Don't it's, show it's it. It's a book for a reason. Ah, right. right. Yeah. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it works as the written word. It's not as good as a of course, yeah. vis- visual. Thing, and I would but. think that that um, Guaranino yes knows that book. Oh, he must. He, he, he seems like a very maybe not the movie. Well, but he knows, but he knows well-read yeah. guy. Because yeah, you know, that that the power from that character that Susie is and that uh, what's that guy's name? Guillaume? No. Oh man, Guillaume. Guillaume. Yeah. Guillaume. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That that a single person has that kind of uh, of a power, and that you know, and then we're back at the revolutionary thing, right? Yeah, you go to you go to those figureheads of a revolution. Lenin, this, well, Stalin never did. A no, Stalin didn't do anything. No, he just took over. Lenin or Trotsky or yeah, Trotsky, poor fucker, or a Marat. If we're doing the French Revolution, right? You know, then the, this yeah. Kim Il Sung. <laughs> well, just that you have a certain charisma, you know, and how totally. do you, how do you use that, or uh, um, are you ready for it? Yeah, to, to have to to be that. So, in in some ways, it is a fairy tale because it has some of that structure of the trials that that a, that a mm. fairy tale hero has to go through, right? Mm. Certain uh, um, 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 how do you say problem, mood problem. Uh, dares or trials, uh, it's trials. I mean, it's trials, trials. Yeah, yeah. I mean um, dares, is, but yeah, trials. Trials would be better. Yes, and um, you know, so it does have that. But what what I like about this movie is that the dramaturgy. Usually, it's like okay, Luke Skywalker. He gets a calling, right? He says, "Nah, I'm I'm busy with my farm here." So they kill the the parents and the whole thing. And he goes, "Yeah." Sorry, guys, I'm ready. I got nothing else to do. I got nothing else to do. I got nothing left, <laughs> you know, which is the cowboy thing, which is, you know, the whole the thing. The samurai thing. The samurai, yeah. the Ulysses thing, you know, whatever it's it is. It's the Joseph you know? Campbell thing. Right. Yeah. And then in this movie, those beats are very 
wishy-washy. They, they, they're not clear where these beats fall. Yeah. Even though the movie has acts. Remember? Oh, explicitly stated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, but the, but the beginning and the the beginning of acts they flow into each other. The act has already started. Exactly. Mm. And then the card comes up. It's like a reminder. The, this, by the way, this is act five, but you're already five minutes into the act. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, it's go. What is so? You know, usually That's in a cool. movie, you really want to make those clear. Those things. Oh, this is the turnaround. This is the reversal. You know, this is the low point in the second act. You know, now we know we got to, oh, this is as bad as it can get. Uh, we better pull our shit together because, you know, we got to get catapult ourselves into the third act and everything comes together. It's a last when it wasn't possible. This has that, but it doesn't make it obvious that it has that. Mm. Right. So it becomes really, tr you have to really pay attention or you don't. And you just flow with it. Yeah. You go, oh, this happened. And after two and a half hours, you go, oh, that movie's over. What just happened? Really? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you didn't get those defined dramatic beats that you usually get. And it's actually very interesting that you don't end up getting the beats, even though the beats are signaled. <laughs> They're signaled off, right? Yeah. So it's like... I know, that's very interesting. That guy is, yeah, you feel, be, because it's, even though it's so loose, nevertheless, you feel like you're in good hands with, with, with this storyteller. Mm, you really do. Yeah, he's going to carry you through this. You know, in two and a half hours is a long stretch. It's not a 90-minute Woody Allen movie. No. Yeah, <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> it, yeah, it is much, it was, this was like... I think when before we started watching it, you asked, "Oh, is this a very long movie?" And I said, "Like, uh, oh no, no, a normal length." And then I looked at it, yeah. was like, "Oh fuck, this is two and a half hours." <laughs> yeah, like, I enjoy it enough where it, it doesn't feel that way. I think because it's uh, it's just so much to digest. You get into it. Um, I forgot it too. I was like, "Oh, it's going to be an hour and a half or so." <laughs> right, and I'm sure that the Italian original is shorter, right? I think so. Yeah. Yes. It's probably on the money. It definitely is yeah. because we got to get six screenings of this in the in the afternoon mm. so we better yeah. make this short yeah <laughs> you know because a two and a half hour movie takes up oh no we could show two more screenings you know so oh like yeah many. so that it actually it would be more difficult to put a longer movie into like festival circuits and things like that yeah or in the movie theater because, oh you know, right you're not selling enough popcorn because you know yeah the turnaround oh so theaters are you not know, gonna so. like that yeah no they're not yeah. two and a half hours they, they are two hours please yeah uh, yeah know. Just keep it there. Oh, please. that makes Thank sense. You. Yeah, that's cool. That the, the the film then was was intended to be like a deeper sort of experience than just like a regular commercial film. I guess. I think you're absolutely right about that. It, it needed that actually because if you wrapped it up nicely in ninety minutes or or one hundred and twenty minutes, um, um, it probably would have felt forced. Yeah. In in some ways. It, there you go okay I gotta finish this and I don't think I can think of a scene um, that I would take out necessarily where I went oh this is superfluous yeah you know? right uh, it didn't feel lengthy because often you get movies that are too long because yeah they're too long yeah because you don't need that you don't need and this even though it was wandering and didn't have those clear narrative beats or it offset them um, it was fine it was okay two and a half hours. It was a yeah. fitting time. Yeah. It's like the, the movie determined the time it needed to be, you know. I felt sometimes in the end with that orgy, um, visually I felt it was a bit of a letdown. 
I have mm. to say, even though it was was uh, gargoyle and the whole thing. Yeah. Grand Grand Guignol, uh, Grand whatever it was. Guignol. Guignol, yeah. It was. It had all that, yeah. um, but there was stuff. There was stuff in there where, obviously, they they. Um, they did slow motion, but they did it in pose. But That's true, that actually. Staggering oh, that. yeah. They they overworked this scene in mm, the editing. Yeah. I felt that this was too much. It was massaged just too much. I see. You know, I yeah. I I would have I would have wished a more elegant way to go through that scene. Yeah, I actually I agree too because um, the uh, the demonic character. I, I think it's. I don't know who that what that demon is. It's like I I pictured it to be one of the mothers, I guess, another one like mm -hmm. Mother Tenebre or something. Or Lacrimosa. Or Lacrimosa, one of these other ones, yeah. Uh, but yeah. she gives like when she's exp exploding heads at the beginning, she's giving this like really intimate thing, but then at one point she's just walking around pointing like you get a head explosion, you get a head yeah. explosion, you know, like I <laughs> it was that was a little bit I was like, "Oh, I wish it was a little bit uh more subtle than that." Yeah. And the, and they use visual tricks that are obviously post-production exactly. tricks. That's yeah. I thought it, it betrayed the reality of the filmmaking because it was so pure up, up to up that to point. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Said, and because they shot it on film too. They didn't shoot digital. They shot 35 right. millimeter film, oh. pure film, right? Yeah. Um, so when you put those effects on there, it shows instantly. Uh, right, they're because they're so you, different. In because the... you're coming from two different mediums and you're overlaying this this digital stuff, right? It doesn't yeah. it doesn't adapt as, as, as if you were only in the digital domain yeah. or, or realm, then that, that you can do that. Yeah. You know, you shoot that 4K, 6K or whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. But once you're on a 35 millimeter medium that shoots 24 frames per second and then you try to play with that the edges are going to see it yeah yeah and i thought that was too bad i, I uh, yeah Nah. I I agree. I agree. The one the one way to defend it maybe is that that scene is so fucking chaotic. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it it, it right. is supposed to break like it, and be shocking and stuff. So that that mm. would be the one time where you could just completely break technique or something. But I do agree. Mm. I do agree with you. But uh, yeah, it, it makes me think that probably. I mean, you know, put that in the hands of I don't know Sam Peckinpah or uh, <laughs> you know, he shot. He did shoot that slow motion right from the get go. Right. He said it's the only way this can be done. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I thought there was a they failed. I mean, in in a little way, not thinking about it completely. Through how, how how anyway? I do wonder if there was something if it because it it you're right that like so much of the movie feels so deliberate mm -hmm. that then to lose uh, for that to like kind of lapse at the end it does make me wonder if it was like oh did something go wrong yeah like an actual mistake mm -hmm. where they were like ah fuck mm. we didn't think about mm -hmm. it, where it was actually like oh we have to save something. That's what it felt like. At the end, yeah. rather than like a lapse of um, taste. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I'm not... Part of me wonders if you asked Luca Juananino, you know, like, if you were close enough friends, some, if one were close enough friends with him to be like, look, let's be real. Yeah. We're in Milan. The digital... The cafe, have the, an espresso. Yeah. 
Right. Going like this. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, hey. Oh. Hey, ciao, bello. Gabagool. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's different Italian. Um, no, but that if you, if you were somehow close enough that you could ask this question without it being rude. Right. And say, hey, so the climactic orgy, death orgy thing in Suspiria with the digital effects, was that always your intention? I kind of feel like he'd be like, no. No. Oh, okay. Uh, this thing happened. You know, we, we didn't, we realized we needed... Mm-hmm. this and that and it didn't or we had another plan and it didn't work out right. and then it was too late to go back and we only had 20 million dollars and right. mm. I could imagine I would believe that it would be more that rather than him saying no I think it's I think it was great. a daunting, it was a daunting thing and it's mm. in some ways I, what other movie did he do? Call Me By Your Name Call, and, and oh he's definitely done other stuff but those are the only two that yeah, I, I mean that is a um, a challenge to shoot a sh- Seem like that. <laughs> when you go from an intimate, uh, very close thing, you know, like uh, Call Me By Your Name, mm-hmm. or even the first two hours of, 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 this. of this, you know, it's very character-oriented, and suddenly you have to do a spectacle. Yeah. Operatic uh, dimension where you go, wow, how am I going to... I mean, that's... You know, you get to your edges then, and then it's 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 like the team, you know, how are we going to pull that I can't even imagine is, how they did that but yeah dan- I, I was looking at the dancers and going man you must have done this for days in and out. oh yeah and d- dancing like that yeah I mean it's even hard. the first dance that's by your body it's like to, yeah I was even, I mean I wonder uh, what yeah so I was even thinking of the dancers on the stone floor naked you know, like just physical, like your knees are going to get fucked up. <laughs> like, and also yeah. there's, um, I, I don't know what kind of uh, effects they use to put the blood on the floor and stuff. You have to be careful. You're not going to slip. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, that was an intense, yeah, I, undertaking probably, right? With all No, it makes energy. me think of like the, what we were talking about in, or what Sam and Ange and I were talking about in the Society episode with mm. the, the, the other movie we've done that has a, a climactic uh, horror orgy. Yeah. Um, but that there was a similar thing in that movie with, you know, just having all of these extras mm-hmm. covered in goo and prosthetics. Yeah, and right. Whatever. And then, then talking about the sort of reality of like, yeah, you're stuck in this latex thing for hours yeah, and hours yeah. and hours having to do these weird movements mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So yeah, just the reality of being the extra dancers. Right, that makes me think yeah. of Nightman. <laughs> That's a totally different... This was a show he made in the 90s. <laughs> the guy hated being in the, in, the, in the suit. He hated being in the suit. Oh, please don't put me in the suit. <laughs> it's like, I'm not this guy. I don't want to be yeah. in the suit. Um, I sort of have to get going. Should we talk about the music very quickly? Yeah. And then mm. we can call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The music is really worth talking about because, like, when we were watching it the other week, like, Annalise came in from the other room when the, the opening, the title song was playing. It was just like, that song is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's giving me a thumbs up from <laughs> down the hall now. But <laughs> Well, yeah, I thought the music was very restrained. It was very, uh, it, wasn't, it didn't push anything yeah. really that hard, um, um, which usually you try, I mean, you know, we have a comp- film composer in the back here. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> my, my brother. And, uh, you know, it, it... I mean, there was that one thing towards the end where the song comes in, right? Um, that was unusual choice. Yeah. To, you know, because often you will resort to a familiar song 
mm-hmm. but it's very rare that you that you get an originally verbal song in a movie mm. that's made for that movie for that scene. Yeah, because we always resort to something. When we run out of tricks, we go, oh, let's put in a Beatles song or let's put in something that everybody knows to get them back on track. Mm. And this was... That was my first thought or question uh, yeah. when you said Jörg did the soundtrack. And I was asking, is he singing too? He does. Yes, he does. Yeah. He does sing. I, I wrote that. Uh, I, I read that. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was very... It was unusual to 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 watch and listen. Yeah, because you don't get that in movies, you know. I no. mean, you, okay, you get uh, Shirley Bassey doing the, the the Bond song, but it's usually only in the. It's front. just the credits, right? It's just the credits, and the credits yeah. are always like fully non-diegetic. Like, right. Yeah. You know, and that song becomes a hit. I don't think the song would necessarily be plucked as a. As From a, what I can tell, no single, no part right? of this was a hit. Oh, okay. Neither the movie nor the <laughs> soundtrack, but. Right. Um, but no, because you're. But you're right, though, that like there, there would have been a number of like. I mean, the obvious one that I think, not necessarily. Uh, I can't think of a specific. But you have sort of iconically. There's a bunch of songs that you could put. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. That I you mean, could put there, even songs from the time. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. like, like Bowie. Yeah. You're exactly. like Bowie that, Berlin albums. Any like, Eno thing would have worked. An Eno thing Tiger or Mountain or whatever. I mean, yeah, know. where you could say, oh no, but that's from the time period. Right. And, and then you choreograph it to that music. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You use that, you use that on the set. And yeah. I guess York had some music pre-produced, right? Uh, this is I actually watched an interview with him talking yeah. about the score. Yeah. And uh yeah, he did use a, a f- some amount of um, pre-existing stuff. No, no, but um, he supplied. Oh, you mean you're right for them to, for to them do to, to work do, to because yeah. they, he would play it on the set. Yeah, and, you're right. And choreograph to that specific music, you mm-hmm. know, which is which is very nice if you yeah. get the music in advance. Yeah, you know, because usually the music comes in late. Yeah, um, and then you get the thing of that I've heard from you, and from Stephen, and from Sam too that like. Right. Directors and people get really attached to the temporary music. Oh, terrible! Yeah. And that yeah. then you, as the composer, are being okay. So you want me to re rewrite this song that already exists? Yeah. Right. Thanks. Like. Yeah. 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 But there was. That's, yeah, that's a tough position for musicians to to be in. Yeah, I I, I wasn't sure if like Tom York supplied that song beforehand, um, and I was wondering what Tom York had a role in because obviously the song that he sings is very Tom York, right? Um, yeah. But then mm-hmm. there's then there's the atmospheric sound stuff that almost, it's not like music, it's more like sound design in a like sort of a stalker kind of way, you know? Like yeah. it builds the world with the voices that come in and most of the the movie is like that kind of sound effects. But then, yeah. but then you have the very distinct, like this, the part that I thought was, kind of a tie-in back to Argento of the giallo kind of like rock club music that happens. Yeah. You know, that happens. I like that. Yeah, that I liked, nice. I liked that yeah. too. And I wondered if that was York. I don't know if that, I, I assume it was. Some. It sounds kind of like it could be him, but it's it's not him singing. It's just the instrumental kind of like club music. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, and there's always that, that, you know, at some point you don't know what sound 
designed as Innovate Music is at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I mean, you know, Lynch started all that anyway. Yeah, the Badalmenti thing. Yeah, Badalmenti, yeah. you don't know what it was, you know. Mm. Uh, is that music or is that sound, you know? And I think with this movie, it's similar in, in some, some degree. Um, they probably, I mean, you know, what do you do? You, as a composer, you give this stuff over at some point and uh, it's theirs. You know, and, yeah. and if you if you trust them enough, then you know they have taste, they have a certain, they have a sensibility mm. that you're aligned with, and you just go, do it, guys, it's fine. Yeah, you know, you can you can move it over this way if you want. You know, it's it's okay. You know, yeah, it, that's rare, but yeah, totally. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting, like you know, because so many of. Uh, like as as should be probably obvious at this point, you know, I'm I'm generally not big on adaptations or remakes or reboots or things like that. And so when five or six years ago somebody said, you know, that uh, yeah, these are empty now, but um, you can still hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, because I'm not somebody who's into. Uh, I'm very skeptical of remakes and reboots and things like that. That six years ago, whatever, when somebody, when I heard like they were remaking Suspiria, mm. it was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Annalise got me a, one of the, you know, ni very nice Suspiria poster, the original iconic, you know, the dancer turning into the blood, you know, poster. Uh, 10 years ago or something. And it's the beer <clears throat> that was on our wall for a long time. And, you know, so the original Suspiria, even though I'm saying that the new one is better, the original Suspiria definitely still means a lot to me. And so when I heard they're remaking it, I was like, oh no. And then when I yeah. heard the music is Tom York, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, also because we did a, a whole episode about it, it was like, you know, I love Radiohead. I love Tom York, but I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Um, right. And so I was, there was, when we went to see this, Annalise and Sam and I, you know, in the, in the theater, I was very skeptical mm -hmm. of basically every aspect of this movie. I really thought like, this is going to be, this is going to be bad by all rights. This is going to be bad. And as we've covered, you know, I, I, really like the movie to the point that I do think it is better than the original. But the music performs a similar function, I think, because it is about as different from the Goblin music as it's possible to be. Right, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing in the Goblin aesthetic or whatever that is retained in the Tom York uh, score. Right. Which is basically the same thing as the movie, that there's essentially nothing of Argento's style right. that's retained except the bare plot elements. Yeah. And I think that, like that in the, the movie itself, that, you know, choosing Tom York rather than, say, somebody like, uh, oh, I don't know, somebody who does synth arpeggios, you know, if they'd chosen uh, right. One of Tricks Point Never or Emeralds or... Yeah. Any of those like guys like who trying have... trying to emulate the original. Yeah, or even even nod to it at all. Yeah. Even if yeah. it was like we're not going to emulate it but we're going to do a little thing that references the theme. 
or we're going to do yeah. a little sonic signifier. But the Tom York was like, nope, complete yeah. blank slate. Yeah. Was the best move that they could have made. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Should we call it? Yeah, yeah. That was a good episode. I had, I had a great time. Dave, it was very cool connecting with you. Thanks so yeah. much for taking and letting me part, be part of this. Absolutely. Oh, really yeah, thanks for joining. enjoyed this and that this can happen across time zones and <laughs> across oceans. And, yeah. 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 It's nice. And in my yeah. tiny kitchen on the floor. I mean, it's definitely easier to do it when at least two of us are in the same time zone. Yes. If we tried to coordinate this in three time zones, that would be yeah. harder. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. But yeah, thank you. Of course, thank you for for uh, being here. Mm-hmm. And um, you've already told us about your movie, so I'm not going to ask if you have anything that you want to plug <laughs> because you've already plugged it. Right. It's called um, Every City is Every Other City. Yeah. That's it. It's a uh, release date to be determined. To be determined. There is, at this point, there are two T-shirts that exist. Nice. To promote the movie. Nice. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> You have to rotate them. Yes. You wear one and Patrick wears one. <laughs> right. and, then you, and we go, oh, yeah. I got to wash this one. Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, thank you, Excellent. Dad. Thank you, Thank son. you, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right, cool. See you, man. See you later. Bye. This has been the Modern Rubbish Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Modern Rubbish Podcast, and you can find show notes, links, and more at modernrubbish.ca. If you enjoy what you heard, please give us a five-star rating, and feel free to reach out to us via email at modernrubbishpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, if you'd like to help support what we do, you can become a patron on Patreon, or you can make a donation via Ko-fi. This podcast is a labor of love, and all of your support means the world to us.